0: Turns out he's a major cinephile. They don't watch enough movies. It's a very simple formula. And here we go. Hey, you. Welcome to the Revamp Podcast Recording Studio for Knickknack Goes to the Movies, episode seven here. And this is going to be a solo episode. We've had a ton of fun with some guests, and there will be more to come. You don't have to listen to just me. But today, I want to have some quality one-on-one time with you to talk about a real serious issue we are all dealing with. What are you going to watch now that some of us have been in quarantine for 6 plus months? My usual streaming platforms are putting out movies I do not need to watch, but I can't keep rewatching Rick and Morty and all three seasons of Scream TV on HBO, Max, and Netflix. If this is you, well, you have my sympathies. But do not fret any longer, because this is the episode for you. Apple Podcasts, you can categorize us in the health and fitness section. I'm going to blow your mind. Sometimes we want something new to watch. I know I do, but you don't always want a Supernatural-style 15-season commitment. You want something casual, a true Netflix and chill, an Amazon Prime and Alone Time, a Hulu and WooHoo, an HBO Max and Relax, a Disney Plus and Coitus, a DC Universe and Immerse? That's all I I, I got. Uh, Hopefully you you had something in there that you can use after this show. (laughs) What am I talking here? I am talking about one-season TV shows. Shows that ended too early. Shows that never got a chance to shine. Or shows that were classified as a miniseries or a limited series. Some of these may annoy you without having a full realized ending. But they all have some merit. Some more than others. That need to be seen. And if I can get you to try just one of these shows... I have done my civic duty. So as Snoop Dogg says on the hit Katy Perry track, California girls, greetings, loved ones. Let's take a journey. So freaks and geeks, ha, you thought I was gonna start with Firefly, didn't you? Come on, you can admit it, it's just the two of us. That's what I thought, it's okay, we will get there. So as I was saying, freaks and geeks, probably one of the earliest and most well-known one-season wonders not in the sci-fi genre. The cast of this 1999 show included James Franco, Seth Rogen, Jason Segel, Bussie Phillips, just to name a few. It was a coming-of-age story, focusing on two friend groups, a group of slackers and a girl joining the group, and a show of geek friends, not unlike the Stranger Things kids. The show is maybe a little too realistic for its own good, and maybe a little too early to be that realistic, almost in the same way that some may find Big Mouth, just little too relatable I know last week's guest John Mosho felt that way you know the show focuses on on kids who are not in the all-american social groups but it showcases real issues in a way that the show was way way ahead of its time a trend you may notice on a fair amount of these. There was humor, drama, nostalgia. NBC never really gave it a chance, however, with time slot issues competing with who wants to be a millionaire, sadly. This show was so important to how television is the way it is now. I mean, this is a must-watch. Sadly, this is one of the shows that it's not available to stream anywhere, not even, like, pay for the season. You'd have to go to Amazon, go to Barnes & Noble, go to some website and buy the hard copy set Of this, I will say, I don't want to, you know, get false hopes up, but the hope is maybe with Peacock TV now being a thing, still not available on Roku, I know, but maybe with Peacock TV, the show can get a second win because I do think this is a show that it is a bit older, but it won't show its age in the same way that other things will. And not only will it not show its age, it's a really important coming of age story that I feel like kids today could get such a lesson from. When you guys think of One Season Wonders, when I think of One Season Wonders, you probably do think Firefly, right? And that's fine. I think the same thing. This is the one you're all either obsessed with or, at a bare minimum, have at least heard about. The Fox Western sci fi show Firefly has been, to me, probably the most known of the canceled shows. This fan base is diehard. I didn't say it was. You heard me right. I said is. The show aired in 2002. And I can attest, in 2014, scriptwriting students everywhere were still writing spec scripts for college classes for a 14-episode show. This show brought some great actors into the forefront including Nathan Fillion mostly known for Castle and this show but he will be featured in the soft reboot of Suicide Squad. Alan Tudyk from Dodgeball 310 to Yuma and he's a great voiceover role in Rogue One. Angie Torres, who you know is in the Matrix franchise maybe you've heard about it. This also launched the TV career of Summer Glau. I feel like there is a Maybe two years ago, I was going through all these shows, and I felt like I saw Summer Glau in everything. Terminator, The Sarah Connor Chronicles, Dollhouse, The Cape, Arrow. She was everywhere, and this show is one of the first iterations, at least that I discovered her as an actor. This show has action, drama, character development, humor, and so much more. It was a show where you had so much world building and awesome sci-fi, but it was not so bogged down with tech things like a Star Trek so it could be a little more accessible to someone who just wanted a nice fun Indiana Jonesy style adventure with their sci-fi with some really good character development. Think of it also you could say as Star Wars focused on Han Solo with some more interesting mature themes. This show has a nine on IMDb. It had low ratings when it was airing though and another case of being way before its time and Joss Whedon said he had intended it to run for seven years. Sadly, the networks at the time didn't have the grasps of non-comedy shows being successful or sustainable. And to some degree, the average viewer probably didn't either. Average viewers wanted comedies. Things like Prison Break and Heroes would still not come out for three to four years. The good news is we have an amazing story and a movie that does what it can kind of complete the story. The show is currently available to stream on Hulu. The movie is available to rent for four bucks on Amazon Prime. But if you like the show, I think that's an easy decision to make. I I don't love renting. Um, You can't really rent TV shows. They may kind of buy it. But I am more than fine renting a movie, especially if it wraps up a really good story. So that's my advice for you. Get on Firefly. So now we start to get to shows people are maybe a little less familiar with. We got the big two early birds out of the way. And Terra Nova was a a one season sci-fi drama. It was on Fox in 2011, and I remember being super excited when I saw the trailer. I actually, before recording this, made sure to rewatch it just to make sure I wasn't thinking about something else. And I think back on it and I still kind of like it. Was it that amazing show that had Jurassic Park level dinosaurs with special effects all the time? No. But it was a family friendly sci-fi show that had some themes that were developed in the 100 which was a lot more recent but it had more of this light hearted teen coming of age style storyline in a prehistoric traveler kind of way. And it was just a nice family show. Even if it wasn't always fully developed there was a nice family bond that you kind of got from it. There are some great actors too, such as Naomi Scott, who went on to be Jasmine in the live-action Aladdin, Jason O'Mara from The Man of the High Castle and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and Stephen Lang, who is amazing in everything, but into the Badlands and Avatar come to mind. His role is actually super similar to Avatar, which came out a few years prior. And of course, we're getting four or five total Avatars, so he is set to reprise his role in at least a couple of those. This show is sadly just too big in scale, and the High production costs were too much to manage. Netflix wasn't talked to pick up season two, but to no avail. The show reportedly cost $4 million an episode, with the pilot costing more than double that because the pilot took place in the future world as well as the past world. Sadly, there is no place to stream it in the streaming service model. You'd have to buy the show, but as I've said before, I don't recommend that. If it comes out on a streaming service, take a look. But as much as I have fond memories of the show, there are similar, more accessible things available. If you want your dinosaurs, many Jurassic Park movies are now on Netflix, so get on it. (laughs) So this is potentially a controversial ad, and it may not be considered a miniseries, more so a long movie. I'm watching it on Amazon Prime for a few bucks, and it looks like it from the 1990s is packaged as one movie. But it is listed as a miniseries, and was when it first aired. So I'm going to include the OG It in this discussion. Now I've watched both newer movies first. I gotta imagine I am one of the few to watch it that way. I will try to not make this too comparative to the movies, but we'll see where I end up going. So I like the newer movies. Not comparing to anything, just outright I enjoy them. To me, they are a gorier version of Stranger Things. Maybe not as cleverly written and Stranger Things, as I would say, and it it really made me just hate humanity, and maybe that's sort of a, a Stephen King staple of just everyone's terrible. Kids are okay, but most adults are pretty terrible. I loved Bill Hader and James McAvoy. That's kind of the main reason I decided to watch these, because I definitely watched them back to back, but I watched them after the second one was available on HBO, just to kind of get on because of my appreciation for what Bill Hader and James McAvoy do. So off the bat, let's talk about the actual TV miniseries from 1990, it's pretty dated it's not always a bad thing but constantly getting like greaser vibes from the the bullies is just a little silly nowadays like you kept waiting for him to be like tell me more tell me more did she get very far like i was waiting for some musical numbers about grease lightning and never happened <laughs> but things age with time that's just what it is tim curry is a great penny wise i don't know how i feel about the stories of past and present being so intertwined unlike the movie version and sometimes the gore is limited because of the times but that being said it has its moments young seth green is amazing as young richie i think there's some super good scares and honestly even though the technology doesn't lend itself to as much gore the subtleties are sometimes super nice and it doesn't have to be outright vile and profusely uh, gory like some of the newer uh, iterations of it are I love the reference to Stan already being dead in this version way more. Um, It's spoilers, I guess, but it's from 1990. It's if the movie, if the property is older than I am, I feel like the spoiler warning doesn't really matter, but we'll put it out there anyway. But there's a a scene where um, they're coming back to town and Bill's character sees Pennywise and there's seven graves, but one's filled in. And I obviously know from watching the movie who, who, it was like that stanley committed suicide but like that subtlety was so nice compared to how they i don't even remember how they did in the movies but i remember being like if there's one thing i really like comparatively it's that scene i thought that scene was awesome compared to the movie version i have to say i enjoy part two of it from the 1990s as opposed to the movies because even though initially i was not happy with the interconnectivity of the 1990s kind of really combining the two because it was so connected in the first one it made any flashbacks in part two of the tv series feel less abstract like the movie felt like okay here's our modern characters and here's a few extra scenes we shot from the first movie that were just tossing in as extra scares where here everything kind of felt really connected which is great maybe i have to back to back watch these movies at some point but based on how they were packaged. Just my observation. Yes, I paid for it individually to rent, but since it is packaged as a movie, I think it's worth it. And if it's really important to see both versions of it, you can chronologically double down. Part one has to be paid for on a streaming service, but part two is available with your subscription to HBO Max. Ooh, we are in for a fun one. So I did not watch Harper's Island Live, but I remember hearing about it in high school from a teacher back when I was still terrified of anything even remotely horror focused. But once I dipped my toe in and belly flopped in after that, I finally came back to the show and gave it a try. Boy, was it worth it. This is one of those shows that does not have a ton of super well-known actors to me. The only one I really knew was Katie Cassidy from the Arrow shows on the CW. And sometimes that's nice to not really get invested in the character's as actors but more so get invested in the story so you're not like oh i know who that is i know who that is i know who that is you're really ingrained in the story and this was such a dark show they had some similar vibes as the agatha christie novel and then there were none slasher nick here there were some amazing kills the twists were unexpected i never could have guessed who the killer was i cannot recommend this show enough Is one of those shows that does not feel like it needs another season. You get a whole contained story. I think I watched it on the CW, but sadly this is a show that another one you'd have to go buy and see it. But this one might actually be worth it if you're a slasher fan who wants something that has the gore and suspense, but just the right amount of levity. And it's not so much a a mass serial killer exists. It's, It's very much one of their own, and that's all it is. There's nothing else to it. It's just a person, which sometimes is a little scarier in the genre. So speaking of And Then There Were Enough, with the rise of the cinematic versions of Agatha Christie movies Murder on the Orient Express and Death of the Nile coming out soon, I wanted to bring up this miniseries that aired on BBC. Like those movies before, this miniseries is stacked with such actors as Charles Dance from Game of Thrones, Sam Neill, the Jurassic Park series, Burn Gorman from Torchwood and Turn. I love the book and the show stays faithful. It has an amazing way of showing this classic murder mystery fully realized in visual form i love my british shows we will get to an episode on all the british shows that nick loves someday the good news is while there's no real way to stream this miniseries either buying it is about the same price as a normal movie rent cost with about six bucks on amazon prime i own it i think it's absolutely worth it especially if you liked murder on the Orient express and want something a bit more intense and dark than those this is more of a, a fresh loss, sadly. Airing in the winter of 2019, The Passage was a vampire thriller conspiracy show on Fox that had some cool elements to it. Neither lead was super well known before this, but Mark Paul Gossler and Sanaya Sidney had awesome chemistry and helped me really feel the connection between these two. And more Henry and Cusick, the best part of 100, is always good. I never read the source material before this, but I like the whole government vampire story. And there's some cool mind control elements. It just in general was a super unique take on the vampire genre, which prior to this was big-ish, but I feel like post-it, there there's so many vampire shows on Netflix. I feel like you watch one, you finish it, oh look, there's another one ready for you to go on. Individual parts may have been done before in different genres, but this was like a nice mix of Prison Break, the vampire genre. I kind of liked the, the sum of all parts, and it really was excited for what season two is going to bring. As of now, there is sadly no way to watch this show, but it had a nice balance of skates and some really nice adopted family connections. R.I.P. The Passage. You are gone too soon. So now we start to get to some really random ones. This is probably a show no one has ever heard of. If you have, please let me know on Twitter. I'd love to know that I wasn't the only one. Picture this. Reno 911 and cops, but with zombies, werewolves, and vampires. Oh my. Bryce Johnson... Pretty Little Liars and Katie Lotts Arrowverse are in this. We're talking Death Valley. It's an MTV show. This show has an amazing theme song, it's super gory, and it is just an amazingly weird, unique, and fun show. It is way higher rated IMDb than I imagine, but I don't think that's unjustified. If nothing else, I remember the show is always just being fun. I love how much they interact with the camera crew as real characters, part of the world. Kind of like what they do with what we do in the shadows or sometimes they'll lose a camera person because of their vampire antics or an audio person because of that. I think that's the best comparison I can make. It is. So many other elements all combined into one just super fun show yeah this is one of those shows that never had a complete end but man was it fun as all heck there's just not as many outright horror comedy shows and this is so much fun definitely worth adding to the list if you're looking for that specific niche you will probably notice a ton of the things i'm talking sadly are not outright available right now but if something speaks to you hopefully this helps a bit and this isn't just an outright huge tease of shows that you have to pay individually to watch Eventually, we're going to get to some that you can actually do it. And finally, one that we actually can recommend that not only has a streaming platform, but technically two versions for you to pick from. Now, I'll say this. I did this wrong. So learn from my error. Watch Deadset first, or only watch Deadset instead of Reality Z. For reference, I work in the media industry. I love movies and shows that dive into some fun behind-the-scenes thing like Scream 3. It's not the best movie in the franchise, but I do appreciate the cool behind the scenes production things. It's a zombie apocalypse that takes place during the filming of a reality show. One is more like Big Brother, while Reality Z is like a fake Greek setting for the reality show. It's a little it's a little too abstract for me at times, especially watching Reality Z first. I, I felt a little more at home with the idea of a reality show not having a, a strange gimmick like the Greek God setting. I don't want to get into too much, but the big difference is Reality Z has a second half that continues a story that ends in Dead Set. The two shows are strikingly similar, like way too similar for comfort. It's a super cool concept that has fun take on the genre, and the music is great. I was Shazamming songs like crazy in both of these. I highly recommend it, and by it, I mean Dead Set. I don't want to spoil too much, since people may have gone through neither These, But they're both available on Netflix. But remember, Dead Set First, you can do Reality Z, but if you're only going to do one, Dead Set First. Learn from my failures. Is Daybreak an amazing show? No, probably not. And rewatching it, it was not as good as I remember it the young adult fun take on the zombie apocalypse genre was kind of fun there's a ton of nods to ferris bueller's day off including the lovely incomparable matthew broderick as a character in the show it's a fun narrative structure that mirrors in the same way that ned's declassified school survival guide i love the fourth wall breaking there's some really fun heartwarming scenes too. There's some real quirky storylines like a fully RZA narrated episode. And it's just a fun coming of age story hidden behind a reserved version of the apocalypse. There's something fun about social cliques still existing in the zombie apocalypse. And an amazing running joke with the golf team. It kind of finishes a storyline but they easily could have done more to really finish it. But sadly Netflix did not want to indulge in a series that was initially planned to have multiple seasons. But, like a few of these before, you can enjoy season one as its own entity right on Netflix. So I don't want to oversell this, but I've been waiting to talk about this show for ages on this podcast, in the real world, in general. I did not expect to be able to talk about this so soon, though. The BBC show Garth Merengue's Dark Place is a true masterpiece. It's probably the shortest show I will talk about, and it's the only show that you can just search on YouTube and and find the entire season. That's how I first watch it, and it's probably how I still watch it. And it's possible to do so even today. Think scrubs mixed with fringe, X-Files, and the driest British humor you could possibly imagine. Richard ayawada and Matt Berry are amazing, and this weird style of medical workplace comedy with weird supernatural things, and most importantly, the weird style that's amazing of acting, like it's bad acting, and editing like it's bad editing. It takes a lot to film and write slang in the purposely bad style for comedy, but if you want something so purposely bad it's amazing, and it's the weirdest thing you will ever see, this show is for you. If you can take away one thing from this episode, watch this show. I'll say watch this a lot, but this is the one you need to watch. I loved it sophomore year in college, and guess what? I still love it. I will try to find some gifts to litter our twitter page with to get you the full gist so you can dive right in so prior to getting dc universe i was definitely intrigued by swamp thing as one of those first new and exclusive platforms exclusive tv shows that seemed a bit darker i know none of the main cast some of the guests and recurring characters are ian zering yeah finn from sharknado rj siler the lead in Scream Season 3, and another random horror show for Jake Busey. I can't watch this and not think Poison Ivy, Poison Ivy, but I do love the grit. And I remember when I first watched this, I was thinking, oh, it's a CW show, and man, was it violent, gory, and dark, like, immediately. Like, seeing people get their limbs torn off and things grow through people, it was so gory, and, I mean, it's great for Dark Depressing Nick, I genuinely forgot it was a DC Universe show, but since people will be able to watch this on the CW in October, I'm a bit curious what TV viewers will think of it. I am pretty hooked. I like the setting, the writing's pretty good, you know, I think you can compare some parts of Swamp Thing to, like, Cloak and Dagger or Flash with some of the dialogue or some of the the setting elements but I really like the darker tone this has. I, for the life of me, can't figure out why this was canceled so early. But if you like a little scare mixed in with your superhero fare, or you just don't want to necessarily have the overt superhero thing, you just want to watch something that's a little scarier, but not overtly scary like A Conjuring or the you know girl coming out of the well or the TV DVD player or whatever, VHS. I don't know, those aren't my movies. <laughs> Check it out either on demand now on DC Universe or Waits October and you can pair this with your free-form 31 nights of Halloween viewing, and just take a quick detour to the CW. So apparently Network TV did not like to some degree, and still does not like to some degree, shows that dabble in the magic, but more importantly, the occult. Dresden Files is a damaged guy who has some ties to magic, and there's occult things like demons, vampires, and werewolves. Oh my, I will try to stop using that joke the rest of the episode. I'm not going to promise but I will try. Paul Blackthorne from Arrow is a lead, and honestly, he's a great lead. I feel strong Constantine vibes from this show, and I remember watching it, enjoying it, and then it was done, sadly. It did not reinvent the wheel, but I did enjoy it while watching it. And good news, if you want to take a plunge into this semi-copture that has a fun setting, kind of Lucifer-y, but maybe a little less, like, network-induced with some of the comedy and some of the workplace, like, romance stuff... Take a dive. It's free on Tubi, so there's no reason not to try. So, there's a reason I wanted to follow up Dresden Files with Constantine. Once again, it's another show that the network NBC was not able to keep due to low ratings, but it was just on the wrong network to succeed, sadly. The show would have done wonders on the CW and lasted years. Part of this is due to the amazing charismatic portrayal of John Constantine by Matt Ryan also the voice actor for one of the most fun Assassin's Creed games at Black Flag. The show has the fun supernatural elements, but instead it did not feel exactly like a cop show and more so a narrative-driven supernatural show. Thankfully, there was a one-off Arrow episode that led to his character moving on to other CW shows, like Legends of Tomorrow, but it is sad that the supporting cast, which was very talented, will never be able to tell his story in his world. The way it dived into the occult and demons and possessions still had a very, very loose superhero feel, and it was a really fun time. The show can thankfully be streamed on the CW Seed, which is not the last time we'll mention this platform. I also wonder, you know, just kind of thinking, if sometimes shows like Constantine, it's a superhero show that people would appreciate. But not a lot of people who are also watching things, especially on NBC, may not know who that character is, so I, that could have been an issue as well. Just throwing it out there. Look, I enjoy the Wesley Snipes Blade movies. Mahershala Ali is going to do amazing things in the role. But I want to talk about something a lot of people didn't know about. That's the Spike TV Blade show starring Sticky Fingers. Honestly, I did not know what to expect when I first tried the show after the trilogy you know, honestly, Sticky Fingers was a pretty good blade. Different from Snipes, but that's okay. It was good in his own right. The action was awesome. The gore was great. And the whole, like, backstabbing infiltration storyline had that Castlevania Game of Thrones feel. Some drama with all the awesome action set pieces. And guess what? It's available on 2B TV as well. So go take a bite and sink your teeth into this show. Especially with October almost upon us. So this next show is one that probably exactly what you'd expect from a one-season show. The Cape was a fill-in show. One of the superhero shows not based on anything or a member of the DC or MCU properties. The show just missed the superhero TV boon by one year. Arrow dropped in 2012 on The CW. Now being on Fox, you figure it would have a bit of staying power. Trying to make a genre thing on network TV. There's some actors that are name brand, at least to me, David Lyons from the criminally underrated revolution, which we will talk about in a different episode, James Frain from Gotham and the Tudors, Keith David, too many things to name, Summer Glau, who we already mentioned, and Vinnie Jones, most of the gritty British Guy Ritchie crime movies. The show definitely has some Batman and Arrow elements. It is a little bit cheesy at times, but looking back, It's kind of like Ant-Man and Black Lightning, maybe a little more Ant-Man, with a family drama that the superhero has to redeem himself and be reunited with his family. And honestly, the special cape effects are pretty cool. This is one of those shows that's actually available on NBC's actual website. So, if you want a new superhero show, but not have to get too bogged down with deep lore, this is one you can easily get in, get out, and get your fill. Speaking of lore... This year's Emmy Darling Watchmen is technically classified as a limited series, so I am more than happy to talk about I Wish There Was More Seasons, but it is what it is. Hopefully in two days you will watch this on Sunday and it will rake up all the awards and you'll be even more convinced to think of this and watch it, or more likely re-watch it. For those who don't know, Regina King and Jeremy Irons are two amazing portrayals of the lore of the show and the exciting trajectory the show took the series in. Yet helps if you've seen the movies for some context, but since the TV show is a sequel to the comics, which I have never read, it's a great superhero show, it's shot and written super well, and it's super timely and relevant, especially with the 2020 George Floyd protest. The show starts out with the portrayal of the 1921 Tulsa Race Massacre, and has put this event into the forefront of many viewers and that we talked in depth about in our Emmy episode, myself included, who are not aware of this tragedy until watching Watchmen. It is staggering how many live action visual properties in the superhero genre actually help in the fight for social justice or just representation. But here we are having just that. The twists and turns are great and you have to watch this HBO Max darling ASAP. So we are on to one of the Biggest missteps in the MCU family, and it is the Inhumans TV series. This was one of those weird things where it was going to be a movie, then it was delayed a few times, and lo and behold, we got a TV show. And the big selling point was it was shot in IMAX. It had some cool political intrigue, backstabbing elements, which is why it felt great to have Ramsey as one of the main actors, a part of that backstabbing, sort of governmenty, overthrowy things which I do like, but the special effects at times were just not that impressive. And it felt very self-contained as a story that it could have related to either the MCU as a whole, or at least Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Instead, we got this. It's not the end of the world, and it does have some merit. And I hate to say it, but unless you are a diehard completionist of all things Marvels, you can watch something better on Disney+, and you can totally skip this. There's so many great MCU, and the X-Men movies available. I'll be super curious if the Eternals movie releasing in 2021 will eventually be the movie that this was meant to be. Also, a quick sidebar, how great does that cast look? The reading of Richard Madden and Kit Harington from Game of Thrones, Angelina Jolie, Angelina Jolie, Kumail Nanjiani. Cannot wait. Powerless is sort of a weird one for me to talk about. I did not love the show, but I still really enjoyed watching it. It was a workplace comedy, which not necessarily always my, my type, my, my speed of show, but it did take place in the superhero world. It is always nice to see the superhero genre try a different look. And the cast was pretty fun. Vanessa Hudgens, Danny Pudi, Alan Tudyk, and Ron Funches. A ton of very funny people. And it has one of the last Adam West roles. And we love Adam West on Nick Neck goes of the movies. Ron Funches is a gem in the show, and he did eventually go on to be in the Harley Quinn show, which I also quite love as King Shark. And this office style workplace comedy is just fun, but it has that fanatical, fantastical fantasy setting to make it just abstract enough to not be a classic sitcom in the real world. Because boy, do I dislike those. And it's nice to see Vanessa Hudgens in something post-High School Musical and Spring Breakers that really suits her skill set. I was excited for see her growth as the show lead as the show would go on. Also, Alan Tudyk, hilarious and the right amount of like over-the-top weirdness. 10 of the 12 episodes are available on NBC right now. And if you're looking for a brief similar to the off-style show, but a little more fantastical, check it out. It's funny to think about Birds of Prey airing on the OG version of the CW, previously the WB network, and how ahead of a time it was with this young adult superhero show all the way back in 2002. I mean, come on. The CW would have eaten this show up if it was just a few years later, yet had some super dated outfits and a dialogue kind of like Buffy the Vampire Slayer has if you're watching it in 2020 it also has young boy Aaron Paul as a random thug in the very first episode. It has some super loose ties to the Tim Burton, Michael Keaton, Batman films. It's a bit of a procedural, but so are most of the Arrowverse shows in season one. The superhero genre goes hand in hand with procedurals. It's not my favorite, especially now, but it does make it a little easier to get through those things. Lucifer is the exact same way. It's a fun show, and Ashley Scott is such a great lead. She did get to briefly reprise her role in the massive CW Crisis on Infinite Earths event. But if you want a female-led superhero show that's just a little bit different from what you've been watching, take another trip to CW Seed for this one. Band of Brothers is the gold standard for war shows and just good storytelling and action. And it comes to us from the lovely folks at HBO. This show has some amazing actors. Some of my favorites, including Michael Cudlitz from The Walking Dead, Neil McDonough from Captain America and the Arrowverse, Michael Fassbender, Simon Pegg, Colin Hanks, Dominic Cooper, James McAvoy, Tom Hardy, and David Schwimmer. You can't watch this show and not stop and wonder where you know this actor from. If you want a war story after watching 1917 and Dunkirk, this is the one you need to view. The storytelling is so beautifully done and it feels the feels are in full effect and knowing this is based on reality is super cool and knowing that they were consultants on the set to make sure tom hanks and the team behind kept to the accuracy of the real life story while making the small screen show feel like a cinematic masterpiece it's such a great take on character development and character exploration i cannot recommend this show enough if for some reason you have not watched it yet do yourself a favor watch this now On HBO Max. The Pacific, well, think of it as a spiritual successor of Band of Brothers. It's another HBO show, and while still very good, it just doesn't live up to the exact same lofty expectations of its predecessor. The actors I knew here were fewer as well, but Rami Malek is prominently featured, and we get some John Bernthal. I'll say this while looking at my Shane Walsh Funko Pop in my recording space. It's another really good war story. It just focuses on different things. If you want a real good character-driven story, Band of Brothers. If you want a bit more horrors of war, The Pacific is the one to go. You can and should watch both, also being available on HBO Max. You can make a whole weekend out of it. But you gotta just go into it knowing that The Pacific is not Band of Brothers Season 2 because they're in the same time frame. They're both war shows. They're both on HBO. But there is a difference. Both good, One's better, there is a difference. Speaking of kind of a two set, this was the first of the two John Le Carre novel adaptations to air on AMC in America. And in my opinion, this one was just a tad better the night manager with Tom Hindleston from the MCU, Hugh Laurie from House. It's a spy drama that feels right at home with the Jack Ryan movies. Think Harrison Ford ones. It's a unsuspecting man dragged into going undercover in a criminal organization. Though he has some experience in the field, he's not really qualified to be the guy, but he has to be. It's a great spy show with great performances. Heck, this show is the reason Tom Hindleston is even in the Conversation about being the next James Bond post-Daniel Craig. It's a short watch, super fun and suspenseful, and would fit right into the modern Bond style super well. And Hugh Laurie is an amazing charismatic villain. Tom Hindleston, Hugh Laurie, and Olivia Colman all received Golden Globe Actor Awards for the show, and the show has two Emmys to its name. I cannot recommend this adaptation enough. And... Good news, folks, it's available in its entirety on Amazon Prime. It's the next John Le Carre novel adaptation to air on AMC in America, and honestly, The Little Drummer Girl, it's still very good. And if you like one, you will like the other. It stars Florence Pugh, who I am super stoked to see in the Black Widow movie, whenever that drops, and Michael Shannon from Boardwalk Empire and Man of Steel. Also, Charles Dance is in this, and we love our Game of Thrones alums on Nick NickNet Ghost of the Movies. So the, pers- the main character in question this time is an actress quest to go undercover infiltrating a terrorist group and honestly the acting angle is kind of cool because you're having to act to be a part of it but because she's such a good actor that's why they choose her which is it's cool to see that angle and honestly you're more on edge knowing that it's her acting skills as the main thing getting her through this not her fighting abilities as tom Hiddleston had a little bit in his version she's just an actor a great actor, but that's what it is, so she's a little more, you're nervous for her a little more, because of that, which makes it a little better, because you're more on edge, but it's tough to be more charismatic than Hugh Laurie is, and while I like this standalone, there's something that makes Night Manager just a bit higher in my book, but absolutely watch both, sadly, however, this one is available by paying for a streaming service I'd never heard of before, Sundance Now, so you take the you know, the idea if you're into it. I mean, I think it's all available on Amazon Prime too, but as far as streaming services that aren't individually buying it, you got to go to Sundance now. All right, folks, we are still moving and grooving on this list of shows that you can take a peek at that are one season wonders or blunders. There's always a few shows I try to watch between episode recordings to add a few more to talk about, and this is one of those. I watched the first episode ages ago in California and never got around to watching more, but I finally dove in Rewatched the first episode and continued on from there. And in this crime drama, the night of, the first episode is so important, especially rewatching it. Like any good caper, it's almost more fun going back to the beginning once you know the end. Riz Ahmed from Rogue One and Venom absolutely steals the show, and is one of the most sympathetic characters seen in media I've seen in a while. Seeing his transformation on the show and how. He got where he is portrayed so amazingly. I love everything about it from this young kid, from this immigrant family who goes through all this stuff and how it changes him, this process. It's heartbreaking. And Michael K. Williams is in it and loyal listeners know I like him in everything. He's crushing it in Lovecraft Country right now, Boardwalk Empire, just to name a few. Honestly, this is a show that's on HBO Max and is one that you absolutely should jump in if you want a crime show fix but want to break from true crime. It's based on season one of a BBC show called Criminal Justice from 2008, just so I get you all the information. But yeah, the legal scenes from so many different angles kind of remind me of like a really crisp, clean version of The Killing, but with that HBO razzle-dazzle. So since this is a series, how can we not talk about the quarantine viewing hit, The Last Dance? It's no secret I love me some sports. Sports movies don't always do it, but sports documentaries made by ESPN Yeah, that does do it for me. And The Last Dance came out during a time when we really needed something to look forward to. And something really good that could be talked about on social media and Zoom for weeks after and while it was airing. The editing style on going back and forth starting on the final season in 98 and seeing the parallels of earlier seasons, it's not for everyone. It's a little bit jarring. I remember thinking that a bit when I first started watching. But when I completed the series to fruition... I grew to like the drama and focusing on different aspects of the team, while giving Jordan a large portion of screen time, rightly so. I was alive, but very young during this run, and seeing it, and not just the basketball side but getting a look behind the scenes, humanizing all the team player elements, it's a no brainer. It's a bonafide success. You would think 10 episodes of a show, of a documentary even, would be too much. But it never really drags, something I felt the ESPN OJ series did a tad. I was always excited to learn more of this saga and get a deeper understanding of all the players and coaching staff and executives on the team. And the interviews they had from Kobe, rest in peace, Carmen Electra, Obama. I mean, this was a masterpiece of combining sports and engaging narrative storytelling. Even if you're not a diehard sports fan, if you have not done it yet, do it. It's available on ESPN Plus and Netflix, so you have no excuse. And who knows, maybe this can be your foray into the glorious catalog of 30 for 30 films available on ESPN Plus. It's one of my favorite parts of that subscription. So, one of the last things I want to talk about is something I don't normally do. It's reality TV. I try to avoid these shows like The Plague, since I really value storytelling on this podcast, but I'm willing to make one exception. So, show of hands... How many of you like cooking shows? I raise my hand. But let's take the pause. I raise my hand. Now, if it's anything other than Gordon Ramsay cooking shows, it does not count. Put your hand down. He is the one and only TV chef that I need in my viewing life, and nobody will ever change my mind. But seriously, the show I am going to talk about, it's a little weird. It's called Cooking on High, and it was a web show that Netflix picked up that's a cannabis cooking competition. It's a wild concept about having professional chefs who cook with marijuana cook a themed challenge meal. It received terrible reviews on every platform, but it's so short and wacky that I remember rewatching it two to three times after the like just watching it, like in quick succession, just to get that same serotonin boost of watching something so weird and unique. I just have to shed a light on it. It was just a lighthearted, fun show that sometimes you need something like that. It's not your normal cooking competition show. Everyone's a bit intoxicated and still saying words on a TV show. You'll laugh a few times each episode, I guarantee it. And if you're in the mood for a stoner comedy, but want to go something a little bit different from Pineapple Express, Harold and Kumar, or How High, give it a go. It's so short. It's available on Netflix. What have you got to lose? Before I see anything, I was not able to get around to Mob City or Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. But stay tuned on social platforms for individual video breakdowns of both those shows. Now back to the episode. I would love to talk about Heroes Reborn, which is classified as a miniseries, but I feel conflicted. It really reminds me of Season 5 of Prison Break. There are some new characters in both. They are released much later than the original shows, but they're more like sequels to me. Sure, Prison Break focuses mostly on the same character leads, and Heroes Reborn clearly focuses on new leads. They're clearly related to one another and can be seen as sequels. Where my early thoughts on Once Upon a Time in Wonderland is it's clearly a show that has loose ties to the main entry, but can be its own thing. I love Heroes as a franchise, and I did enjoy Heroes Reborn. Was it as good as the original? No. Did I like it? Absolutely. I just don't feel like I can go in-depth on it, because you really need to watch the entire seasons of 1-4 to before watching Heroes Reborn to fully appreciate it. I just don't want to go too in-depth on these, since you really need to watch earlier seasons to fully appreciate them. Even if Heroes Reborn does not have Hayden Pantier, Milo Ventimiglia, and Zachary Quinto, who loyal listeners know I quite appreciate. I also did not include True Detective or the FX American Crime Story shows, because even though those are individual, isolated seasons, it's a series as a whole. I count those as a series, and you'll have to look at them as a full body of work. Or at least, that's what I did. So that's it, folks. That's the episode. There's a ton of one-season wonders out there. Some are blunders. But the world is your oyster, and there are many available for you. If I did not mention one of your favorites, let me know on social, either knickknack underscore IC, Knickknack movies. Also, before I go, I was gonna mention Lovecraft Country, but I gotta imagine there's gonna be a season two. Fingers crossed. That show is an amazing fun take on the horror genre that also has some really relevant social justice issues discussed like watched on HBO before it. It's a much watched. Make sure to rate this podcast five stars on Apple Podcasts and write a review about how this podcast is the equivalent of the renegade or the wop dances on tiktok aka groundbreaking so you stay sassy until next time cinephiles are you not entertained i think this is gonna be the beginning of a beautiful friendship i don't like goodbyes let's just call this see you later alligator